0: Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In Luke chapter 7, we find the account of Jesus healing a centurion's servant. The scripture says that Jesus was amazed at this centurion's great faith in his word. Do you have great faith in the word of Jesus Christ? Regrettably, most of us would admit that our faith in Jesus is not where it ought to be. Let's open our Bible now to Luke chapter 7, And look at the opportunity we have to have increasing and even great faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, good morning, and welcome to another teaching. It is a Wednesday morning here in Texas, and hopefully, y'all are just loving on Jesus, spending time with Jesus, growing to know Jesus. It's the it's the meaning of life, as we say every time, growing to spend time with Jesus. The primary way we do that is spending time in the scriptures, spending time in the word of God. We're gonna see in today's teaching just the the incredible power of Jesus's word. Um, and when we read the Bible, we're reading the word of God. Jesus is God. So when we read the scriptures, right? The holy scriptures, our Bible, we're reading the words of the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the more we read and study and meditate and most importantly obey the Word of God and repent when we fall short, the you know, the more you know, we will grow in our relationship with our Heavenly Father and with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit. So, thank you, Lord Jesus. All right, today we're gonna do Luke 7, um, verses 1 to 10. Just uh, uh, two miraculous healings uh, in these scriptures, very powerful healings from Jesus, um, and just tremendous insights in these 10 verses. So Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Bible, Father. We thank you that we have our Bible. We thank you that we have these scriptures, Father, to read and study and meditate, Lord, that we might grow to know you better. Father, above all, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for becoming a human man for us, for living a perfect, righteous life for us. We thank you for dying a, a perfect, sinless, torturous death for us. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are alive and risen today, and we do worship you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open your word. Give us eyes that see and ears that hear, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Okay, Luke 7, we're going to read verses 1 to 10. When Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him and turned to the crowd following him. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay. Um, so yes, this, this text actually has, you know, has one healing. Um, it was, uh, it was the scripture we had done last time, um, when we finished Luke eight with the woman with, uh, that had been bleeding for 12 years. Um, and you know, the, uh, uh, the synagogue rulers, 12 year old daughter, we did that last teaching. Um, but, uh, just, just, just profound, you know, um, just, just insights here into this scripture. So, verse one: When Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now, as we went through the Gospel of John, um, we did, I think, ninety-one teachings and finished the entire Gospel. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Um, Capernaum is now the the home of Jesus. This is where Jesus and the fa- and his family lives in Capernaum. Um, So he's back in his hometown, right? Um, uh, He and his family, the royal family, so to speak, because Jesus is our king, right? Um, Moved from Nazareth to Capernaum, you know, somewhere around the beginning of his ministry. Um, So he's home now, right? In his hometown. And it says in verse two, there a centurion servant whom his master valued highly was sick and about to die. Okay, now this centurion is an extremely powerful, high authority in Rome. He would be a, a military commander over many, many thousands of soldiers, okay? Um, he would have been prominent. Um, he would have had tremendous authority. Literally, there would be no one in Israel that wouldn't be under him in Israel, right? Remember, Israel was, uh, was occupied you know, by Rome, um, and you know, they were under Roman occupation. So, um, this centurion would have been a man of just of tremendous power. Okay. Um, he would have had obviously uh, tremendous wealth and influence. Okay. And it says that, that he had, um, a servant or a slave. And it said that the centurion valued him highly. Now in, uh, in Jesus's day, when you owned a slave, I mean, you could kill the slave for any reason you wanted. You could kill it just like you would put down an animal, right? That was the, that was the culture. It was horrible, right? Um, but it says that uh, there a centurion servant whom his master valued highly was sick and about to die. And again, it was common practice in this time that if your slave got sick, just to, just to kill it, right? To kill the person, the man or woman. Um, again, just, just a horrible time. Um, but this centurion valued this servant or slave, it says, you know, highly, right? So verse three, the centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. Okay. So, um, the centurion is, is in relationship with, the Jewish leaders. Um, and it says that, you know, he commands them, right? It says he sent some elders of the Jews. Now, the Jewish elders and the Jewish leaders throughout the four gospels, the vast majority of them are not, uh, th- you know, they have not, they don't believe that Jesus is the savior. They don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah and they're, they're generally hostile to him, right? But you know, this centurion has, you know, has a, a servant, he's sick, he's close to death. He apparently, you know, really does love this servant or slave. Um, and, you know, this centurion would have had access very clearly to, to the best medical care available at the time. Um, and nothing worked. Uh, Jesus is, it was told, you know, it's, you know, he knows now that Jesus is back here in Capernaum. Um, and he sends these Jewish leaders, these elders of the Jews to, you know, to ask Jesus to come and, uh and to heal this, this servant or slave. Right. Um, so the elders have to go in and, and humble themselves before Jesus. Uh, you know, it's, it's probable that they did not enjoy this. And again, um, very few of the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, um, believed in Jesus as the Messiah. Now, it was known that Jesus was doing tremendous miracles. So what was happening is these massive crowds were following Jesus, but they were chasing after him more oftentimes for the, for the miraculous, for the miracles, than they were for the, the absolute necessity for which they needed him. Um, and that can be a problem in the church today, right? Sometimes we can chase the, uh, the excitement of Jesus or the power of Jesus um or the healing of Jesus when what we need at at our you know at the at the base of all things we need Jesus as our savior right um the bible is clear that all humanity is sinful romans 323 says that every human being is sinned and falls short of god's holy standard all 8 billion people in the world today need jesus All of us have a sin debt to God, to the triune God. There are only two ways for that debt of sin, right? We are responsible, right? Um, The triune God created humanity. When I say triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they're all God. They all have the nature of God, which is to say they're all all powerful, omnipotent. They're all all all-knowing, omniscient and they're all everywhere at all times, omnipresent. Um, in creating humanity, right, we are the property of the triune God. Uh, every one of us have, has gone sinful. Because of our sin, we are alive physically, but you know we're dead spiritually. And it's not until we, we genuinely trust in Jesus Christ, putting our full faith and confidence in Him alone to save us, right? To save us from our sin, to bring us to heaven when we die. It's not until we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior that we come into spiritual life. We we come into eternal life, right? We go from being naturally alive and spiritually dead to being naturally and physically alive to spiritually alive. We have a new birth spiritually, right? God the Father then becomes our Heavenly Father. Jesus Christ becomes our Lord, our Savior, our Master, our King. The Holy Spirit becomes our guide, our counselor, and our Comforter, right? Um, And we have relationship with the Triune God, and it's incredible. Um, But until that time, we have no knowledge, no understanding of God in any manner or in any way. We are spiritually dead. Right. And so we we can have no understanding of of any aspect of God until we've received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul, as we've already said. And at that time we come into spiritual life. The light comes on, so to speak. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, comes and joins himself to our spirit, right? When we receive Jesus as our Savior. And, and we have an explosion of life, right? When the Holy Spirit comes and becomes one with our dead spirit, our spirit becomes alive, right? And we have a spiritual birth, and we come into eternal life. And again, the things of God now are open to us, and we begin this, this life, this relationship Again, with God the Father as our Heavenly Father, and Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and the Holy Spirit as our guide, our counselor, and our comforter. But all that begins by receiving Jesus. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul? Are you trusting and relying on him alone today? Right? Are you clinging to him, trusting to him, trusting in him? Do you have your full faith and confidence in Jesus alone to save you from your sin and to bring you to heaven when you die. Without Jesus, only hell awaits, okay? There's no other place for us. Uh, If you're not sure that you're genuinely trusting in Jesus, perhaps you'd say, you know, I believe in Jesus intellectually, but I don't know that I'm trusting and relying on him. John 1.12 promises. It declares that to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, right? Have you genuinely received Jesus as your Savior? If you're not sure, Romans ten thirteen says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, okay? Have you humbled yourself and called out to Jesus, right? Now hear me, it's not our words that save us. Again, almost every teaching we discuss this right the reason we go through this in almost every teaching is if not every teaching is that you know you never know who's listening right it could be around the world you never know who's listening to these teachings and there is literally nothing more important in your life than having received jesus as your lord and savior tomorrow's not promised to anyone any one of us any one of us can be taken from this life at any point this day, right? Um, And if we leave this life without having received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we spend eternity, forever and ever and ever and ever, separated from the triune God, in hell, in torment, okay? So, obviously there's nothing more important than this, and that's why we talk about it, every teaching and give people an opportunity to receive Jesus and to know Jesus because the the consequences of not receiving Jesus as your savior genuinely trusting in him are are more than any of us can bear. So again, if you'd say, you know, I believe in Jesus, but you know, I don't I don't know that I've ever called out to him, I don't know that I've ever received him. You can simply humble yourself now, right? Humble yourself before Jesus and simply pray, Lord Jesus, I confess that I am a sinful person. Lord, I know that I cannot save myself. Jesus, I believe that I am hopeless and helpless and desperate. But Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you came into this world and lived a perfect life for me and died a perfect death for me. And Lord Jesus, I believe that you are alive and risen today. So therefore, Lord Jesus, I ask you now, I humbly ask you to come into my heart and to be the Lord of my life, and to save me from my sin, and to bring me to heaven when I die. Lord Jesus, I place all my faith, and hope, and trust, and confidence in you alone to save me, and to be my everlasting Lord and God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. That's how you become a Christian. Again, it's not the words that save you, it's Jesus that saves you, but we use our words to communicate, obviously, our heart to him, Again, it's the sincerity and the genuineness of of your heart that matters. So again, if you're not sure that you're a Christian, if you think maybe you just have an intellectual belief and it's not a genuine trust and reliance on Jesus alone, again, rewind the tape, use the words I used. But again, what's important is the sincerity and genuineness of your heart. That's that's the, the absolute foundation of the Christian faith. That's what it means to know Jesus, okay? And again, many in the church today, they've come to Jesus for all the benefits of Jesus, but somehow they've missed the foundation of receiving him as their savior. As I said, in, in Jesus's day, the, the, uh, the Jewish leaders and actually the Jewish people of Jesus's day, the vast majority of Jesus, there again, there were crowds of thousands following him, in the previous teaching, it said that he was almost crushed and suffocated. The people were crowding on top of him so hard. Um, but they weren't there to receive him as the Messiah. They were there, again, to, to see a miracle, to see a show, to receive a blessing from him, right? To be fed by him, to be healed by him. And all of these things are wonderful. But, but that's not the primary reason We need Jesus. All these are tremendous benefits, right? Being in relationship with Jesus, there's nothing more important than that. But before that, you have to receive him as your savior. Um, You know, spending time growing to know him, spending time in prayer on behalf of yourself and others, going to Jesus for his blessings in every aspect of your life, spiritually, physically, emotionally, financially, relationally, right, Melanie? Um, All of these things are wonderful but they're all secondary to receiving him for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul. You remember when he was born in, uh, in Matthew chapter one, right? Um, it says in verse 20, and he's speaking of Joseph here. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins, okay? That's the base, the foundation. That's where it all begins. And everything springs from there. Everything comes out of receiving Jesus as our saviour. If we haven't genuinely received Jesus as our Savior, none of the other things matter, nor do we have relationship with him, nor do we have him as our, you know, as our Savior and as our healer and as our King. So again, if you're not sure you know Jesus, give your life to him. We can't just chase Jesus for all the external blessings, but not know him as our Savior. All right. Verse four. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. So again, these are now religious leaders. Very, very few of them, you know, believed in Jesus as the Messiah and loved him. Um, But it says they pleaded earnestly with them. So these Jews humbled themselves before Jesus. Now remember, these are Jewish leaders Jesus wasn't appointed by the religious establishment. oftentimes um, in the world today, this is an important point. some of the most profound ministers aren't appointed by the religious establishment and what do I mean by that is you know you know you know going to church is a good thing um, if you're in a good Bible-based church with very sound biblical pastors that are giving you their time and I don't just mean on Sunday mornings, um, but, you know, helping you grow and discipling you to grow in Jesus and you're in relationship with the pastors or elders or leaders, that's a good thing. But oftentimes, um, some of the, you know, some of the most uh, blessed and mature Christian leaders don't come out of the religious establishment. They don't come out of the church structure. So I'll say again, the, the, you know, the church again is a good thing if you're in a good, Solid Bible-based church that's teaching the Word of God. It's good to go on a Sunday or a Wednesday, and you know, and spend time in praise and worship and community and hear a, and hear the Word of God taught. Right? That's certainly what we do here. But Jesus doesn't come out of the religious establishment. Many of the you know, when you go throughout the Bible. The, uh, the most devout men and women of God don't come out of, you know, the, the customary religious establishment, right? Now, again, that's a good thing um, to go to church and to grow up in church and to be a good part of a Bible-based church and to, and to, and to be, you know, discipled by the pastors and elders and leaders. Um, but Jesus did not come out of that. So you have the religious establishment here coming to Jesus and humbling themselves before Jesus And these are the the elders, right? They would normally, you know, all the people would go to the elders, just like is customary in our churches today. We go to the elders and the pastors, and they they should be the most spiritually mature. But here you find the elders of the Jews going to Jesus and earnestly pleading with him. Um, John the Baptist, again, didn't come out of the religious establishment. Jesus said, there's never been one like John the Baptist um the the 12 disciples again these were fishermen certainly didn't come out of the religious establishment but they had been with jesus so what am i saying going to church is a good thing you ought to be a part of a good solid church right um but that ought to be about five percent of your overall christian walk and for the majority of christians today that's that's almost a hundred percent of their christian walk meaning what they do on sunday when they go to church is the vast majority of their Christian life. That ought to be about 1 20th of your Christian life, right? Your Christian life is lived moment by moment, day by day, growing to know Jesus, growing to walk with him, spending time in the scriptures, spending time daily in community with other believers, right? Whether in person or on the phone, right? Or online, just encouraging one another, building each other up, right? Um, You know, uh, Hebrews 3, I believe is thirty 13 says, encourage one another daily, right? We ought to be in daily community with other with other believers, right? Building them up in Christ, receiving from them in Christ, right? Um, and so the Christian life ought to be one where moment by moment, day by day, throughout your days, you wake up and you have times of thanksgiving and praise and worship for Jesus. And again, it's good to go and sing and have community and worship in church as well, right? Um, and so Again, these religious leaders plead with Jesus. Again, this is something they probably have never done before, right? They're used to, you know, everyone coming to them for religious counsel. And now they're pleading with Jesus, right? When they, when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this. Verse 5, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. Important word here. This centurion is an incredibly good man. He's a God-fearing man, right? He believes in the one true God of the Jews, right? didn't have a revelation of the Trinity, but he believed the revelation that the Jews had at the time, right? Um, And it says, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. Uh, This cannot be overstated none of us deserve to have Jesus do anything for us. Right, Scott? We don't deserve it. What we deserve is hell. Now, again, in Jesus, we are loved. Our Heavenly Father loves us unconditionally, right? Just like we love our children. Now, make no mistake, the more obedient we are, the more our Heavenly Father will entrust us, you know, with his blessings, right? Um, And you know, when we're disobedient, he does discipline us, right? Um, but none of us deserve to have Jesus do anything for us, right? Um, we are sinful people and, you know, we don't deserve anything but eternal separation from from God in hell. Again, I know that sounds harsh, but it's important we understand the state that we're in, okay? As uh as sinners, we're saved by the grace of God, right? Ephesians 2:8 and 9 says, it is by grace you've been saved, right? Through faith. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast, right? So we're not, we don't merit anything from Jesus. We receive from him by his grace and by his mercy. And that's, again, that is an important thing. When we come to Jesus, we have to come in humility like these religious leaders do and like the centurion is going to do verse 6 so Jesus went with them now again he is a good man right as far as as far as people go but that doesn't that doesn't merit that he deserves anything from Jesus verse 6 so Jesus went with them he was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him lord don't trouble yourself for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. Now, it's interesting because this wasn't in the scriptures, but in the law of Jesus's day, the religious leaders said that you could, you never could enter a Gentile's house, right? Remember, there were only there are only two types of people in the world, biblically speaking. There are those who are Jewish, right? Hebrews of Jewish descent, there are Jews, and then there are non-Jews. Those of us that are non-Jews are called Gentiles. Every single person, biblically, that's not a Jew is called a Gentile, and that simply means you're not Jewish. According to their, you know, their rules, Jesus could never enter this man's house because he was a Gentile. But it does appear that Jesus would have went into the house, okay? Again, um, in the church today, we can often have an extremely religious attitude, okay? Now, again, discipline is important, right? We do need to be disciplined Christians, but we don't want to be religious. Religious Religion is when you're trying to put on a show for people or put on a show for God. Uh, you know, the Christian life is one about relationship, right? Growing Deeper and deeper relationship, right, Jason, with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Verse 6. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord. Again, uh, there's no one in Israel, there is no Jew in Israel that Jesus that this centurion has heretofore called Lord. Okay. Again, he is in command. We don't even know the number, right? Could be 3,000, 5,000, 10,000. We don't know how, but a centurion is a very high rank in the Roman army. It's like a general, right? Um, and, you know, it says he sent friends to him to say, Lord, okay? Um, he humbles himself before Jesus. Jesus Christ is Lord Esther, right? He's the Lord May. He's our Lord Stephen, okay? Wherever you are in the world today, do you know Jesus as your Lord, right? Obviously, he's our Savior, and we receive him as our Savior, but Jesus, and this is not a part of our salvation, right? Um, You know, but we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul, But if Jesus Christ is not your Lord on a moment-by-moment, day-by-day basis, then really you're not going to grow in relationship with him in almost any way, right? And, And we have to truly know that Jesus is Lord. Lord, he calls him, okay? Are you consistently, right, humbling yourself before Jesus? And do you have a lifestyle of proclaiming Jesus is Lord? in your own life and over your own life, and then exhorting others to that. If not, it's something we need to work on this day to to better walk with Jesus as Lord, obey him as Lord, acknowledge him as Lord, teach him and preach him as Lord, and share with others that Jesus is Lord, right? Lord, don't trouble yourself. That's funny. I'm the opposite, right? I consistently want Jesus to go out of his way for me, right? This centurion says, Lord, don't trouble yourself for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, right? We were having Bible study yesterday. Stephen made a great point. Um, You know, the religious leaders say this man deserves to have you do this. We already said none of us deserve to have Jesus do anything. But the man himself says, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. He has a genuine humility. He's right. None of us, to, you know, we all need Jesus in our house, right? Living in, in the, in you know, in our hearts, right? In the, in the house of our hearts. Um, but we don't deserve. We don't deserve to have him there. But we must have him there, right? Lord, don't trouble yourself. For I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Wow. Help us, Lord Jesus, just to to have this understanding and this disposition. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, okay? Again, never has this centurion spoken this way. We need to know who we're dealing with when we're talking to Jesus. This needs to be our disposition. Now, understand me, once we've received Jesus as our Savior, he's also our friend, right? Right? And our our God, the father is our heavenly father. And so we do spend time. Every moment of your life doesn't have to be like this, but there ought to be this base understanding of who God is, God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy Spirit, and who we're not. Right, Corinne? All right. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. Listen, I would have come, but Lord, I'm not worthy to be in your presence. But listen to this last, last sentence of verse seven. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. But Jesus, say the word, and my servant will be healed. The man has absolute faith in the word of Jesus, right? We talked about it at the opening of this teaching. When we read these scriptures, we're reading the word of Jesus. This man knows That Jesus has only to say the word. He doesn't even have to be there in his physical presence. And that's exciting for us, right? Because Jesus is not with us physically. Jesus is not walking toward us physically. But Jesus need only say the word, right? Jesus is God. Jesus can think the word. And whatever is happening in your life, right? He can bring order and healing and mercy and blessing from heaven. Now hear me, Jesus lives in you. Jesus Christ himself lives in you, right? I believe it's Colossians 1.27, I think it is. Christ in you, your only hope of glory, the hope of glory, right? Um, but say the word and my servant will be healed. And that, that ought to be the, the cry of our hearts, right? But say the word, but say the word and my servant will be healed. Lord Jesus, we just ask you to say the word, over our lives, Lord, say the word that we might receive you as our Savior. Say the word, Lord, that we might know you better, that we might know your love better, Lord. Say the word that we might be healed spiritually, physically, emotionally, financially, and relationally. And relationally, Thank you, Lord. Verse 8, for I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Look at the reasoning that this centurion gives. He is so certain that the word of Jesus will make his servant well, and it's because he has an entire life of experience and discipline where no one underneath him dare disobey his word, ever. Anyone that this centurion commands something underneath him absolutely does it and anyone above him that commands him something he is absolutely obedient so because he has this lifestyle of tremendous obedience to those above him and that he has he receives tremendous obedience to those below him this lifestyle of obedience look at this has helped build his faith in the word of christ the more you and I will obey Jesus, okay? The more we walk with Jesus, the more we, we obey him, right, Esther? The more we will have faith in him, right? The greater obedience we have to Christ. And, and again, uh, an important part of obedience is we all make mistakes, right? I have to take a vacation day to talk, to talk about, you know, where consistently I need. Just to repent, right? But a a key to the Christian life is that when we make mistakes, when we fail, that we repent of our mistakes, right? We simply go before Jesus, we ask forgiveness, and we, you know, get back up, you know, looking to be obedient where we failed, right? Because this centurion has this incredible lifestyle of obedience over him and under him, you know, he believes that the word of God, he has, he has utter faith in the word of Jesus, that all you got to do is say the word, and your word carries so much power, Jesus, that my servant will be healed. I mean, it's remarkable. The word of God has power beyond our understanding. The word of God created the universe. Right, Uncle Dennis? It created the universe. Remember, Auntie Jackie? god said let there be light he spoke his word and boom light came into existence okay when you go back and you can read in genesis 1 creation god speaks right and everything comes into being that's the power of this bible of the word of god right look what jesus says this is a remarkable statement undoubtedly insulting To the the thousands in the crowd who heard him say this. But again, Jesus, and this is just an incredible thing. Uh, Everything's incredible about Jesus, but he just speaks reality as it is. And it's something we need to to do a better job doing. Not be rude as I sometimes can be, but we just need need to speak the truth in love, right? Ephesians 4 tells us. Verse 9. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. He was amazed at this man's faith. And turning to the crowd following him, he said. So again, he hears this. He hears this man with immense faith that, Lord, you don't even have to come. You don't have to touch my servant. You don't have to pray or do nothing like that. You just say the word from where you are. Wow. Jesus turns to the crowd. Now remember, in the next chapter, the crowd is so dense, so thick. He was almost crushed, crushed, right? suffocated. He turns to the crowd and looks at him and says, I tell you, I tell you, I have not found such great faith, even in Israel. <laughs> Meaning, Israel were the people chosen by God. They were the ones with the scriptures. They were the ones with the synagogues. right? It would be like all of us have been going to church, right? And Jesus turns to a man, you know, who, uh, you know, who hasn't been churched, who hasn't had all the blessings of hearing the word of God taught, right? Hasn't been to Bible school, right? And yet Jesus looks at all of us in the church and says, I haven't found such great faith anywhere in the church. And the man's never been to church. You know, the man has just spent time with Jesus, They would not have been happy to hear this. He just said, hear the words. I tell you, I have not found such great faith, even in Israel. This is a Gentile, okay? He's he's not a part, right, of the Jewish system. Again, he believes in the God of the Jews, the one true God, right? Um, But Jesus said, none of the chosen people of God have I found with faith, like this man, right? It's a compliment to this man. That's uh, I don't know. You you can't make a higher compliment, and it's it, it's really telling the Israeli people that here is a Gentile man, and I haven't found any of you, including his disciples, including the apostles. I tell you, and when Jesus says I tell you, it's certain. I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Lord, we, uh, that's the desire of our hearts, Lord, that we would have great faith. We ask you to refine our faith, Lord Jesus. Verse 10. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Jesus didn't even say anything. Just thought it, right? (laughs) Now, maybe it doesn't say it here. Maybe Jesus said, You know, the servants, well, you can go, but it's not recorded here. It says Jesus was amazed at this man and his faith. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your favor, your mercy, your goodness, and your grace on our lives. Father, I ask you to forgive me for my faith that just seemingly consistently is up and down and wavers when it comes to to circumstances. I thank you, Lord, that we have faith in you as our Savior and Lord and Master and King, But I ask you to help us to have faith, even in difficult circumstances, Lord Jesus. I ask you to refine our faith and to, Lord, just purify our faith, Lord. But Father, I know that we want that, but we don't want to have to go through suffering to deal with it either. So I ask you to forgive us. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for your mercy. Lord, we ask you to help us that we would have a growing in great faith in your word. Holy Spirit, we ask you to seal this message to our hearts. Father, we thank you for your love and mercy. Holy Spirit, give us eyes that see Jesus and ears that hear him and drive us, Holy Spirit, to your word, to know your word, to love your word, to love our Bible, and to obey it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.